Good morning, church. Um, we are continuing in Matthew. So go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to be covering verses 15 to 20. The sermon uh, is called When Christians Sin. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV this morning. Matthew 18, verse 15. It says this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. That's God's word. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word this morning. I'm just really, really thankful, God, that we have something right now that is clear, that is true, that it is from you, God. This isn't just our ideas, but this is, this is God-breathed. And thank you, Lord, that as we turn and open to your word, we can know truth, and we can know that we know, for you are true and trustworthy, and you have spoken to us. And so, God, I just pray together we would just like really dive in and look at what your word has to say. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you just help me to be really clear about what you've said? Would you, Spirit, just convict us and lead us in repentance? And more than anything else, would you just help us to see the beauty of Jesus this morning? Help us to know the love of God, that Jesus would love us and how he's loved us and how he's called us to love one another. So you just come and meet with us now. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the hardships of having a beard is eating food, okay? If any of you guys here with beards, you know what I'm talking about. Like a hamburger, you guys, every bite, it's just food. It's just constantly, and here's the thing, you can't feel it. So there's just food in there. Now, now here's the thing. I know who are my real friends when they say, hey, bro, you got a little something. I know if you're really willing to love me, you're going to say, hey, you got a little something right there. And, and we know that true love is willing to confront someone with truth because we love them. Our parents know this, right? Like classic example, if your toddler runs out into the street, you don't just say, oh, well, you know, just want to let them learn, live. It's like, no, you're going to go get your kid. And you're saying, you're not doing that. And you'll probably even be kind of firm with them. Like, hey, you, that's not, you can't do that. That's, that's loving your child. Friends, we understand that. Like our true friends are willing to confront us, willing to say, hey, maybe don't wear that. Or, hey, like maybe something a little deeper. Like, how are you? Are you? Something seems wrong. Like true love seeks the good of the other person. That's love in its deepest form. Proverbs talks about that in Proverbs 27. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. It's actually not loving to refuse to tell someone the truth. The Proverbs says that you're more like an enemy if you're not willing to speak truth. And a true friend will even wound you. And that, that is what friendship and love looks like. Now, 
We live in a world where it's far more popular to like just live and let live, right? Like that's, that's how we live. One of the greatest offenses you could commit today is to tell someone, hey, I think you're wrong. Like that is almost the, the worst thing you could do in our society. And you know what? It's kind of bled into church a little bit too. One of the worst things you can do is be like, hey, I, I don't think you're right here. Now, like what does that lead to? You know, like what kind of society would that be if there's no right and there's no wrong and we're, we're not going to tell you what's right or wrong. You just get to do whatever you want. And Jesus loves us enough to say, hey, I want to speak to you and I want to give you some truth and I want, I want you to know where life is and where clarity is. And so he's imagined and built and established this group, this organization called the church. And he has this vision for us as the church that says this, I want you, I want to create a community where we would care enough about each other, where we're willing to say, hey, you got some food in your beard. Or maybe something a little deeper. I love you enough that I want to speak truth to you. And, and a community that knows there is truth. We can actually know something because Jesus has spoken. And a community where we're willing to say, that's not right, and that's evil, and that's, that's not okay. Where we're even willing to use the word like, that's, I would think the Bible calls that sin. Where we, where we would pursue one another enough. Where I would love you and you would love me and one another enough to say, I want to speak truth to you. And then extend grace to one another and forgiveness to one another. Jesus wants to create this thing called the church. And so in Matthew 18, he says, this is how I want you to speak truth to one another. I have a better way for you to live life in community. And so the text begins in verse 15, and Jesus says these words, if your brother sins against you. Just real quick, has that ever happened to you? Yeah, anybody ever been sinned against? Yes, all of us, right? But notice what he says, if your brother sins against you. Um, again, that's not a, nobody likes that word, but who just spoke that word? Jesus did. Like, that's a Jesus word. Jesus uses that word. And so uh, it may be uncomfortable, but that's, we follow Jesus here. And he says sin is, is something that we're going to have to talk about in the church. Now, we know all of death and decay and brokenness comes from sin. And so Jesus says, oh, we're going we're to talk about sin for a little bit. And then he says this, if who sins against you? Your brother, right? Your brother. And here he's referring to like your Christian brother. And uh, this may seem obvious, but Christians sin. If any of you here aren't Christians, but you had a suspicion, you were right. We sin. Christians sin. We sin. Jesus says right here, if your brother sins. Um, There's a, a really important kind of paradox or balance in the Bible about Christians, and it's this. On the one hand, every Christian, if you're a Christian, you are a saint, you, all your sins have been washed white as snow. You're a son and daughter of God. You're not guilty. Your sin has been removed from you. That is true of you right now. And at the same time, here we are in this body called the flesh, in this world where there's Satan tempting us, and we will stumble and sin. That's, both of those things are true of every Christian. I'm not condemned and I'm loved by God. And yet I'm still over here struggling and stumbling. Can anybody attest? Like, yeah, that's my experience. Like, right, we were loved by God. Our sins are forgiven, yet we still have this struggle that we live in. And we have to kind of balance both of those things. Man, I'm a loved son or daughter of God. All my sins are forgiven. Yet 
Jesus says here, we're going to sin. We're going to sin against each other. And and how are we to think about that and deal with that? James was the half-brother of Jesus. He says this, we all stumble. I think we have it on the slide. We all stumble in many ways. Coming. It's coming to us. Simple verse, but it's coming. Maybe. No problem. Um, (laughs) There's another verse where Jesus says this. uh, Or no, 1 John. John says this. 1 John 2 verse 1. My little children. There it is. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So on the one hand, we're, we're called to not sin. Jesus isn't like, hey, yeah, you know, I'm going to forgive you, so go ahead and just sin. He says, no, I, I don't want you to sin. But if you do sin, has anybody sinned like in the last month, right? Guess what? You have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he goes to the Father and he says, hey, that's mine and they're covered in my blood and they're not condemned. And and it's because Jesus is the righteous one. Jesus is the righteous one. As Christians, we have the righteousness of Jesus. And so we're a saint and we're a sinner. Now, just a, a quick word to if you are a Christian who struggles with sin. If you're one of those Christians, that's all of us. Hey, like, be encouraged. Uh, You're not alone. You are not alone. In fact, the struggle that you have with sin, listen, that is evidence that you are a Christian. That is evidence that you've been given this new heart that loves God, that wants to obey God. You've been filled with the Spirit who's leading you to paths of righteousness, that struggle is evidence that you have been born again. If you're not a Christian, you're not struggling, like you're enjoying sin. If you are a Christian, like we know, you, sin's kind of good, but you can't really enjoy it, right? Like there's just this struggle. There's this battle. We, we can't get away with it. The Bible refers to it as this battle between the spirit and the flesh, and it's constantly at, at war. So if you're struggling, you're not alone. That's what Christians do until we see Jesus face to face. And we'll be given a new body and we won't struggle with sin anymore. Amen. Oh, that's so good. But for now, we struggle. We sin. The last thing I'd say there is, hey, we have an enemy. His name's Satan and he lies to us. And this is what he's going to say. Since you sin, you need to keep it in the dark. And you can't tell anybody because you're supposed to be a Christian. But what, is, what does the Bible say? Hey, we have an advocate. We don't have to be hiding anymore. We don't have to like not tell people. We don't have to be afraid. We have an advocate with the Father. So Christians, we should be honest. We're free to be honest about our weaknesses and our struggles because we have an advocate with the Father. We are sons of God. And so Jesus says, if your brother sins, and then he's, here's what he's gonna do. He's gonna, he's gonna give us four steps how we as Christians, as the community of God, are to deal with our sin as Christians. He's not talking about the world. He's not talking about non-Christians. He's saying, this is what I want you to do, my followers, when you sin. And the first step is this. It's in verse 15. And he says, if a brother sins against you, go and tell who? Him, his fault, between you and him alone. That's the first step. When, when, when sin happens in the church, that's what's to happen. Now, uh, if you've been sinned against by a, a brother or sister in Christ, as we all have, here's what you don't do. You don't go tell your friends about that person. 
you don't go tell anyone about that person. You don't go tell your coworkers. You don't, you don't even go tell like your pastor or your small group leader or your mentor. You go tell that person who sinned against you about how they've sinned against you. And like, honestly, let's be honest. We, I want to say we don't do that, but I'll say this. We're not very good at that, right? Like, let's be honest. When's the last time we didn't go tell someone, can you believe what they did? Like, that is so common. It takes courage and maturity to be like, no one else needs to know. No one else needs to know. I'm going to go talk to that person. Because do you know what's so much more fun and so much easier is gossip, right? Isn't that just so much more fun rather than the difficult task of I'm going to that person? Like, it's almost like, I don't want to tell any, like we have this, we can kind of get back at that person if we just tell other people. Can you believe it? But Jesus says, no, you go straight to that person. The Bible is pretty strong about gossip. We're just going to read two passages. In Proverbs 6, it says this, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Man, when we go to someone else with, with how we've been sinned against, we're sowing discord. And the Bible says God hates that. He hates when we don't go directly to that person. And then James 1.26 says this, If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. He's saying, man, you can give everything away to the poor. You can obey everything else in the Bible. But if you can't obey, hey, go and tell them their fault, your religion is worthless. Like, it matters that much to God at how we deal with our tongue. And I'll be honest, I'm with you guys on this. I was really convicted on multiple fronts this week. Like, man, I, I go tell someone like, hey, I just need some advice. What do you think about this situation? And I just spill the beans. Like, I need to grow in that. We need to grow in that. That's the first step. Now, that's one temptation, just gossip. The other temptation, honestly, is like, is just fear. Like, I don't want to go talk to them. Like, that's, like, that's, that's scary. That could be awkward. What if they don't receive me? Uh, there's this, this prophet in the Bible named Ezekiel. And God said, hey, here's my word to them. And uh, if you don't go tell them, their blood will be on your hands. And there's some level, some way in which as Christians, like we're accountable to one another. And if, if we aren't willing to go speak truth, God's kind of like, hey, that's, like, their blood's on your hands now too. You knew what you were supposed to say and you didn't do it. Uh, David and Nathan, you guys remember David committed adultery and then murder and then lied about it. And he was in sin. And he had, there was this prophet there who was courageous enough, Nathan, to go and speak truth and confront David. And David repented. Um, now, here's the thing. I think depending on your age and your generation and upbringing, we tend to like be two extremes on this. Like if you were past 40 or 50 years, like if you're over, let's say 40, uh, you you were probably much more about like, hey, we're going to tell people they're wrong. We're going to tell them truth. But then maybe 10, 15 years ago, all of a sudden, uh, Christians started writing about how we're known as anti-judgmental and uh, all of this stuff. And, and we've, I was kind of raised like, hey, whatever you do, don't go offend somebody. Whatever you do, don't go tell someone they're wrong. And I think if you're kind of younger than like, I don't know, 40, 30, 
we're probably much more prone to like, hey, just grace, love, they'll be fine, they'll figure it out. Um, and I think we need to be a little more courageous. Where maybe some of you guys are like, yeah, obviously this is what I always do. I just tell people they're wrong. Like maybe you need to grow a little bit in the grace side. I do think there's this generational thing. Um, so, so Jesus says, I want you to go directly to that person. You're not gossiping. You're going to do it in love. The other thing Jesus does is he, we have to balance this with uh, a few other passages in the Bible, a couple other ideas that help us think through this. Like some of you may be thinking, okay, so every time someone annoys me, I got to go tell them their fault. Hey, you sinned against me. Is that what Jesus is saying? Listen, this is, there's a couple other things Jesus says. Uh, here's one major idea. Love covers sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. That, that idea is in 1 Peter 4. That idea is in 1 Corinthians 13. And here's the idea. If you are able to like, that's annoying, but I'm, I'm able to just, that's, you know what? I'm gonna give them grace. That's annoying, but I'm, my love is gonna cover that. If you're able to do that, then you should do that. Every offense against you that you're able to just in love cover that up, we should do that. Like spouses and friends, like we shouldn't be like, like sin sniffers. Like I gotta find the sin and I need to tell them. Like we need to be able to like cover one another's like faults with love. But there does come a time when out of love for that person, where we say, okay, do you know what? I can cover that. Like, I'm okay if they do that. But I, like, I'm kind of concerned for them, like for their sake. There comes a point where it's like, I should speak truth to them. So that's, that's one idea we need to, to balance. Another idea is in Matthew 13, where Jesus talks about the wheat and the weeds growing together. And he says, you know, you don't just go in and just start ripping up weeds. And his, his point is, we shouldn't just go around church like, you're in sin and you're in sin and you're not a Christian and you're not a Christian. He says, don't do that. Like, you're going you're gonna to cause some damage. He's saying, we don't judge each other's salvation. Um, and we're not just to be like violently removing faults from one another. One other idea to balance is Jesus himself said, judge not. Jesus himself in Matthew 7 says, judge not, lest you be judged. And then he says, and if you are going to tell your brother about their sin, you need to deal with the log in your own eye before you go deal with the speck in your brother's eye. And so the, the idea here is before you ever go talk to someone about their sin, you have to have this attitude of, man, my sin is a hundred times worse and bigger, and I'm way more concerned and way more broken and way more humbled over my giant log of sin. Now I'm, I'm humbled and I'm repenting and I'm working on it. Now in love, I'm gonna say, hey, you have a little speck right there. Like that's the posture in which we go and love and speak truth to one another. This verse in Galatians 6, 1 gives us the heart of this. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So that's the first step. We need to go to one another. And when we're looking at that step, there's a couple questions we should ask ourselves. Number one, like, do I obey this or do I, or do I gossip? We also have to ask, do I love my friends enough, my community, my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ enough that like I'm willing to speak truth to them? Like, do I obey this? And then we also have to ask ourselves, have I ever been confronted? Am I open enough? Do I have relationships in my life where someone's gonna come to me and say, hey, I think you're off. Like, there's something I've been noticing that doesn't seem right. Like, have I ever been confronted by 
about my sin? Like, do people ask me how I'm doing with Jesus or my spouse or my work or my sin? Am I open enough to receive that? This old pastor named uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer says this about sin and community. Sin demands to have a man by himself. If he withdraws, it withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. So Jesus is like, hey, I have a better idea, a better vision for how we're to love one another in community. We need to be willing to like speak truth and love one another and confront one another with our sin. Now, hopefully... 95% of the time, that will be effective and will repent and will grow. Uh, But there are times when someone is going to be unwilling to receive that. And so Jesus says, okay, if if you go to someone and you've done all these steps and they don't receive, here's the next step. And it's what's commonly referred to as church discipline. Uh, Verse 16, he says this, if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So the, the next step is, okay, go grab a couple people, and then you go again. Now, Jesus is he's awesome. He's so practical. Like, he just knows us as people. He knows that we all tend to be, like, defensive, right? Like, dude, I don't know what you're talking about. And he knows, like, it's just going to help if you have a couple other people, like, hey, yeah, like, it's true. You're like, okay, you're right. Jesus is he's just practical. He's also really relational. Again, he's like, you need to have people in your life who will be around you enough to see that something is off. Um, when I was growing up, there was this family that uh, I was close with, and um, one of the parents was having an affair. And um, they were having an affair with another person, and both of them were married, families with children. And the other, uh, the man in this situation had this community in college where they committed, hey, we're going to be in each other's lives, and if we ever do something dumb or whatever, if any disaster happens, like, we're going to be there for each other. And these guys heard about this affair, and they, they actually kidnapped this man and took him away and said, you are not going to do this. We will not let you. And if you try, like, we'll ruin your life. We will hunt you down, and we will not let you get away with this. And that, like, jarring experience, it woke him up, and he did not go through with it. Like that, that's a true story I know firsthand. That's, that is true love. And sometimes we need people in our life who love us enough to confront us and say, hey, this is not okay. I love you too much to let you go and do this. Another thing about the wisdom of Jesus, it's pretty involved. Um, you know, often our reaction when we see someone's life begin to like fall apart, it, I, this is in me, it's kind of like, oh man, I, I, hope, I hope it works out for them or I hope someone deals with that. But Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to be involved in each other's lives. I want you to, it's gonna be hard work. It may be awkward, it may be difficult. And it's also, notice, this is important. There is no reference of pastors or church leaders at all so far in this process. This process is to be done by you. 
not by, you don't go get a professional, religious professional to do this for you. Jesus is like, this is what you do if you follow me. This isn't, you don't, we don't like hand this off to someone. This is done by regular day-to-day Christians. Like Christianity isn't this business transaction where you pay a couple religious professionals and then they kind of handle the messes for you. Like if you follow Jesus, this is part of your job description. I will go in love and, and confront my brothers and sisters. That's the work of the ministry that you are called to. Okay, now if that step doesn't work, a couple close friends, Jesus says, here's the third step. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen, tell it to the church. <laughs> now, if, if at this point, like one-on-one didn't work and a group of friends didn't work, and I even think there's room for like multiple pleadings, like, come on, dude, like, come on, listen to us. Um, at, eventually, you're, you're to gather like the church. Now, at that time, churches were smaller. Jesus knew like for the next couple hundred years, churches were in homes. They weren't like a, a building like this. And so pretty much everyone would know each other. Everyone would know each other's business, more or less. And so you're like the churches to go and be like, come on, what do you, like, you need to repent. Now, in our day and age with our church size, this text is usually obeyed by bringing in like the believers who are in a relationship with that person. Maybe it's like 10 people or so, or maybe it's, it is some of the church leaders. But in our church, we obey this by like gathering a, a group, but not the whole church. We don't bring every person up here and then plead with them to repent. We do that more in a relational sense, but it's still this picture of the church community coming around saying, hey, we think you're in sin. We think there's something off. Now, It's never a good sign if you're the only one in the room like thinking something and everybody else is like, hey, you're missing it. That's just not a good sign. And and Jesus' hope and heart is that this process of this relational like group around them would be like, hey, will you repent? Now, if that doesn't work, we get to the fourth and it's the most painful step Jesus talks about. And it's uh, what's, you maybe know it as like removal of fellowship or the like old school Church history word is excommunication. Jesus says, if they don't listen up to that point, they're to be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, what does that mean? At that time to a, a Jewish mind, remember Jesus was Jewish, those, that was a, like a phrase, like a combination of an outsider. That's what he was referring to there. A Gentile was an outsider. A tax collector was like, you were one of us and then you, you like betrayed us. A Gentile and a tax collector refers to as an outsider. And Jesus is saying, if they don't listen, you're to now treat them, regard them as an outsider. Now, here's what's cool. We know that Jesus actually loves outsiders, right? Do you, you remember... The guy who's writing this book, Matthew, was a tax collector. So Jesus isn't saying, hey, like, you're just to just be disgusted at them and never talk to them again. His point is, you're to treat them as an outsider whom you love, but they're an outsider now. This is important because the, the door into the community of God is this, this word called repentance. That's the door in. If any one of us are Christians, we walked through that door where we essentially said, I see my sin. I've rebelled against God. But Jesus loves me enough to make a way for sinners like me that if I would repent, turn from my sin, 
all my sins would be forgiven, and now I can be in the family of God. That's, that is the narrow gate into the family. You can't go into the family by saying, you know, I, I don't really need Jesus, but I'm in the family, right? Like, that's not the way in. It's, it's the same as if, let's say you were um, in debt, $50,000, and someone's like, hey, I would love to pay your debt. And you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't want it. I don't want your money. Like, okay, but your your debt's not going to be forgiven. Or let's say you're in prison and this judge comes and says, hey, I would like to release you from your life sentence of prison. And you're saying, "Uh, no, thank you. I don't want to walk through. I don't want to receive that. That's fine, but you're going to remain in prison. To become a Christian is to say, man, I have this debt against God and I was enslaved to sin, but thanks be to God. He says, I'll pay your debt. I'll get you out of prison. Turn from your sin and come to me. That's the way in. The, the other way the Bible refers to it is um, it's called to be poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's acknowledging I have nothing to offer on my own, but by the blood of Jesus, I can be forgiven of my sin. And now here's what's important. Every one of us, we're outsiders. Every single one. There's not a single follower of Jesus who was just born an insider their whole, like every one of us, we're outsiders. And God came after us. And he says, I love you enough. I'm going to pursue you enough to make you, to bring you inside. Now, here's, sorry guys, here's what's significant about this point of church discipline. Because when we hear this, like, okay, at that point you kick him out of the church, we're like, whoa, that doesn't really sound like Jesus. Like, that's kind of like our knee jerk. Here's the point. You cannot be a follower of Jesus and then at the same time say, but I'm not going to acknowledge my sin. You, you can't like, those are like two different things. You can't say, I, I'm forgiven. All my sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus, but I don't want to acknowledge my sin. I kind of want to hold on to that. Jesus is saying, you can't do that. And, and if someone, if any one of us gets to that point where we're in sin and we're hardening our heart and we don't want to like bring it out, do you know what the most loving thing that Jesus could do for us is. And you know what the most loving thing the church can do is, is to say, hey, okay, but we're going to have to treat you like an outsider now. If you're not listening to all of these things, we're going to treat you like an outsider. And, and what's the purpose of treating that person like an outsider? For them to finally get to this point of like, honestly, I miss my family. I miss the community. I miss the worship and the word of God. I miss hearing about the love of God. And, and I, what can I do to get back in the family? There's um, this time when this happened in the early church. There, there's, it talks about it a lot. I'm just going to read us one section. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And this is an example of this happening. It says this, 1 Corinthians 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Meaning they were kind of boasting like, oh, our sins are forgiven. We can do this. Are you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, this is important. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters, since then you need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. And that's 
really intense and painful. But again, here's God's heart in this. When, when that person is not even getting to eat with the family of God, do you know what it's designed to be? It's designed to actually feel like hell. It's designed to be just miserable. And, and why would we do that to someone? Because we're like, just come back to God. Just acknowledge your sin. Come back in the door where all of us together are sinners who've been rescued by the blood of Jesus. Now, Jesus is smart and he knows people don't want to hear that. That's not going to be a popular thing. And so he follows up step four with three really important verses. And he says this in in verse 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if If two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Okay, so those verses have been used to say many different things. That may be true, but here's the point why Jesus gave us those verses. He knows people are not going to enjoy getting told, sorry, like you're not repenting, you can't be here. And he knows there'll probably even be people in the church like, I don't feel okay about us doing this. And so Jesus then says, hey, all I need are two people who will follow me under my authority and my name. And if they bind or loose, they have my authority to do so. Right here, this is actually radical. Jesus is giving his authority to the church. And and not even the church leaders. He's just saying, I need two Christians. And if they agree, man, this person's not repenting. What he means by binding is saying like, your sins are not forgiven. And by loosing, meaning, hey, you've come back to the Lord, your sins are forgiven. Jesus gave the keys of the kingdom to Peter, but he also gave them to us, the church. Like you have authority as a Christian. You have Jesus' authority to do this. And he knows, man, people are not gonna enjoy this. So I want you to know when I'm not here, here's my authority. I need two people to agree in my name and you can bind or loose. Now, that's heavy, difficult stuff Jesus just said. You know, you need to talk to them in person, bring two or three, go to the group, and then eventually they need to be removed from the church. Like, this is really bold, clear lines Jesus is drawing. And um, it's really uncomfortable at times, but let's always remember this truth. God loves the outsider. God radically loves those who are not in his family. He loves them. And from the very first sin in the world, he has been pursuing rebels. That is the heart of our God. You remember Adam and Eve, the story of the first sin where they rebelled against God and they ran away from God? God pursued them. He came after them and he called to them. And then he sacrificed an animal to provide covering because it said they were naked and ashamed. And God is like, let me cover you because I love you. And that is my heart for people who have rebelled against me. I want to cover you with my love. You guys remember the story of Jonah? It was this story of, hey, go to this wicked city named Nineveh where nobody believes in me because I love them. And I want you to tell them, hey, 
God's going to judge you for your sin. And Jonah's like, I don't want to go because you're loving and I know they're all going to repent and then you're just going to be gracious to him. And so he doesn't go. The whole fish thing happens. He eventually goes. The story says, he says eight words, which are essentially, hey, in eight days, uh, you're going to be destroyed for your sin. And then he just walks away like, I did it, God, fine. And it says, the king received the message, repented, and the entire city turned to God. God's heart is, I love this lost city. Listen to what he says in Jonah 4, 11. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? Okay, does that not sound familiar to our culture? Don't know their right hand, that's my right hand. That's, that's like, but what's God's heart? Does he say, you don't even know your right? He says, I want to send my people to love them and tell them that I love them and want to have mercy on them. That is God's heart to people who are so confused and lost. And he sends us, his people, out to express the love of God and also the truth of God. Like, hey, turn from your sin because God loves you. That's what we're called to do. And remember Jesus God with us, Emmanuel. God himself came as a man and pursued the wayward and the lost that they could be brought near to God. And that's every person in this room. If any of us are Christians, we were wayward, going our own way, rebelling against God, not knowing our right hand from our left, and we found Jesus. No, God pursued us. And he ran after us and he says, I love you enough to confront you in your sin and turn you to me. And I'm going to, my son will take all of your punishment and take all of your sin and I will cover you with my love and my righteous robes and call you my son and daughter. There is not a Christian who wasn't wayward, who was pursued by God. And so when it comes to church discipline, that is God's heart. God's heart isn't, I want to draw a box and exclude as many people as possible. Good luck getting in the middle. His heart is, I want the world. I want none to perish. But to come to me, you have to repent of your sins and you have to come to Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. But the door's open and he's like, come. He's pleading, he's pursuing. Come receive my love and my grace. And so when we have to get to the crazy point of like, you're not welcome here, Our heart in church discipline is always, man, that you would come back to Jesus. Oh, that you would be like the prodigal to realize, what am I doing? And you would come back and that God would come and receive you and that we as a church, our heart would be to receive those who are far away. We have people in this church who are in this boat. And do you know what would be awesome is for us to have people stand on this stage and be like, man, I was wayward and now I'm back. And for us as a family to just like celebrate. Like, can you imagine doing that? That's God's heart for church discipline. And that's sometimes we are so stubborn as his children. He's like, I'm gonna discipline you and it's gonna be severe because I love you. Sin's that gnarly, but I love you. So come back to me. That's God's heart in church discipline and that's God's heart for the lost in general. And so, as a church, we're going to close with just a couple really practical points. Number one, who is one person who sinned against you that you are like harboring something against? And I'm going to challenge you 
to obey Jesus and to commit to talking with them. Like this week, like let's obey Jesus, who's one person who you are struggling to forgive. Number two, who's one person you are just really concerned for, who you see like, man, they're not walking with Jesus. They're walking away from Jesus. And like, I think I'm supposed to talk to them. Like, I don't want to. That's awkward. What if they don't listen? But what if we obeyed Jesus this week and pursued someone who we're concerned for in love? And then the third thing I'd say is this. This whole uncomfortable discipline of God um, happens when we aren't willing to like repent and confess of our sin on our own. And so the third thing I would say is this, what's an area you've been struggling in that you haven't been honest with that you can this morning like take initiative on and confess and repent? What's like one area in your life where you're like, man, I'm just gonna get that out so I don't have to have people come to me. And, and like we're strugglers until we see Jesus. So what's one area, one sin that this morning I can confess? And the Bible talks about Repentance is to the Lord, but confession is actually to one another, which is pretty radical and communal and uncomfortable. Um, we have a, we're going to have a prayer team up here who, trust me, they've heard it all, and they're not going to be like, what, you did that? Like, they won't. And they're just godly people, like, wanting to tell you about the love of God as you confess your sin. So if, if you don't feel comfortable with people around you, just come up and, and get prayer. But here's the thing. We are probably, most of us are here with someone we know, what if we confessed our sin together during second set of worship? What if we were like, hey, I'm struggling with this. I want to confess that. What, what, if we, what if we did that? What if we remembered that we have an advocate with the Father and we're not condemned and we are loved and free to acknowledge and confess our sins? Bonhoeffer, the rest of that quote says this about community together. In confession, the light of the gospel breaks into the darkness and the seclusion of the heart. The sin must be brought to the light. Since the confession of sin is made in the presence of a Christian brother, the last stronghold of self-justification is abandoned. The sinner surrenders. He gives up all his evil. He gives his heart to God and he finds the forgiveness of all his sin in the fellowship of Jesus and his brother. The express acknowledged sin has lost all its power because of the blood of Jesus. And it's not hidden anymore. It has been revealed for he has cast off his sin from him. Now he stands in the fellowship of sinners who live by the grace of God and the cross of Christ. And every one of us, we are both sons and daughters and we're struggling in the flesh sinners. And, and that's all, we're in the same boat. There's not super Christians who like got past that stage. That's all of us this morning. So let's all of us look to Jesus who pursued us on the cross and made a way for us to be forgiven and adopted. And if you're not a Christian, just hear this. You're in the company of people just like you, but who've been pursued by God to the point where we like surrender. Like, do you know what? I need you, Lord. I, I'm, I'm a sinner and, and thank you for your love. If that's you, like come join the club this morning of sinners who've been rescued by the love of God. That is all of us this morning. So, so let's, let's confess, let's repent, let's take communion and remember what Jesus did for us, the way that he made. And then above all, let's just look to Jesus and worship him for he pursued us, amen? Jesus, thank you for your love and your pursuit 
of us. There, God, there's no one you don't love and pursue this morning. For some of us, if, if we're Christians, but we're just kind of hiding stuff, ashamed, would you pursue us, Holy Spirit, enough that we confess our sin? God, if, if, if we are concerned about someone in our life, would we love them enough with your love to pursue them, to chase them down and speak truth to them? And Jesus, if there's anyone just kind of really feeling condemned and really feeling guilty, feeling unwelcome, would, would we know that you love the lost, you love rebels. In the, in the moment of our rebellion, you love us and pursue us. Would we receive your love this morning? Would we acknowledge our sin and turn from it, God? That we would have life, that we could enjoy all the benefits of our salvation, of being a son and daughter, being full of the Spirit of God, walking in freedom from sin. Lord, would you, would you do that this morning? And above all, would you just help us to worship, to worship Jesus, who is so worthy to be praised? Who else has loved us like you have, Christ? Who else has laid down their life for us when we were at our worst? Who says, I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter. I don't condemn you. I love you. Just to worship you now, Jesus.